each each of the Roman numerals and, and the subpoints beneath that. But let me pray real quick because we, we desperately need the Spirit's help. Amen. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. Father, thank you for the refreshing rain, for the replenishing testimony of your love for us. And Father, we thank you for this time to gather to study, Lord, the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit himself. I pray for his help. I pray for his guidance and wisdom and utterance, Lord, to speak these truths of your word with clarity and Lord, with your power, and that you would give all of us, teacher included, Father, receptive hearts, fleshy hearts, malleable hearts to be transformed, to have your truths inscribed upon them, that our hearts would be enlarged in worship of you and all that you have done for us through Christ and by the power of your Spirit. Bless this time to your glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, last time we kind of started and and wrapped up under number three, the Spirit as Redeemer, and we went through the Spirit as He applies redemption, and today we're going to get into the Spirit regenerating, the regenerating work of the Spirit. Um, I'm going to pick on people today, so Landon, would you read or open up to Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27? Jai, would you open to Titus 3, 5, and 6? And Russell, would you open to John 3, 5, and 6, please? So I said today we want to look deeper into the redeeming, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Just to introduce this, we know from in the Gospels and in Acts that after his resurrection and before his ascension and return to the Father, Christ instructed the disciples to to return to Jerusalem to wait for the great gift and that power to be sent from them, the Holy Spirit. And in Pentecost, at Pentecost, there was a public ushering in of the new covenant of Christ. And the fulfillment of the ages had dawned at this time. And and those who, through the gift of the Spirit, are now being brought to be in Christ. And we're going to look at just three of these scriptures today. But what we're going to see here is, is really the structure of the Spirit's ministry and that of uniting us to Christ himself in, in that mysterious work of God, how he ushers in the newness of, of life and, and new fellowship. It is in all of his convicting and reviving, washing, liberating, glorifying work that we're going to look at briefly, because it is so much and so rich here. But we understand from Scripture that the person and the work of the Spirit of God is to reveal Christ to us and to unite us to him and to all those who participate in his body, the church. And also every facet of the application of Christ's work in ushering in the new covenant is related to the way in which the Spirit unites us to Christ himself. Let me say that again. Every facet of the application of Christ's work and what he did to usher in the new covenant is related to the way in which the Spirit unites us to Christ himself. And we can say then that the dominant motif of the principal order of salvation is the union of a person with Christ in and by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I'm not going to get into the whole study of soteriology today. That'd be wonderful. But Brother Landon went through the Order of Salutis several months ago. But our union and our ongoing communion with Christ is, is inaugurated, introduced into our souls, into our hearts by the regenerating work of the Spirit. He divinely and his, he powerfully begins this instantaneous transformation. He solely initiates and empowers the ongoing sanctification as well, which we'll touch on. And he has in view for us, individually and corporately, individually as our souls, corporately as a church, that final completion, that glorification at the eschaton. So it's not a limited focus work that the Holy Spirit does in regeneration. It has a broad eternal scope that begins at that transformation, that instantaneous transformation. But the regenerating work is that first discovery and manifestation of election and redemption to the person for whom it was intended, the, the specific calling of God. So we're going to see this first in the Old Testament promise given by the Father in and through his, his merciful and loving promise through, through Ezekiel. Brother, if you'd read those verses, please, in Ezekiel 36. Yep. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Carefully think about this and consider who and what is behind this, this powerful Old Testament promise and what it holds for us now because it's still very effective today. Here's the nation of Israel being brought very low through their captivity in Babylon, which was a result of their own moral corruption, their disobedience to the God of their fathers, and their blatant worship and, and, and false worship and idolatry. And it's in this state of utter despair of their souls and their humility before God that God himself, in bringing honor to his name before the heathen, he, he ushers forth these precious promises. The Lord, knowing well what the impact of this captivity has had in bringing about its intended purposes, and the Israelites, and the remnant. And here the Father Father promises by his grace to prepare them and qualify them for his mercy and his sanctification without any merit of their own, but for his namesake. And he fully promises the Spirit himself of all his gracious influences and powerful operations to work upon the salvation and the sanctification of their souls. And it must be noted, if you look two chapters back, that, that there's an also a promise that's fulfilled in and by the great shepherd Christ himself and the promise of their return from captivity. So we see here the, what I talked about last week, the, the economy of the Trinity, the work of the Trinity in salvation, in regeneration by the Spirit. It's founded upon the work of the shepherd and the Son. But now in, in the New Testament, 
In the Greek, the term for regeneration is, is only used in two places. Palingenesia is, is used first in Matthew 19.28. And this is referring to the renewal of all things as, as the final renewal or rebirth of the universe. It talks about the final resurrection, that realized adoption of God's sons and the redemption of their bodies and the entire groaning of creation being renewed when the new heavens and the new earth are established. The other occurrence is found in Titus 3, 5, and 6. Brother, would you read that? So we see here the fulfillment of the promise in Ezekiel for God's elect, for God's Israel, the true Israel. And this washing of regeneration and this renewing of the Holy Spirit is, is a hendiadis. It's, it's two expressions that really have the same idea or the same meaning here. And meaning for us that this renewal, which is affected in regeneration, is not merely, not merely it is a great inner transformation, but not merely this, but it is an, an incursion, it is an invasion of a new order upon our hearts into the, the present order of our reality according to God's timing. It it's, is our transformation from without. It is from above. It is alien, and we should note this being a practical study, just to consider how mighty this work of regeneration in the heart of a lifeless sinner is. This, this exceeding greatness that Paul talks about, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, yet so hidden in the depths of the heart to affect this instantaneous change in each and every one of us. And this change is much more than just a change in, in substance of our human nature. It's not a physical work. There's not some new seed implanted. And it's not just merely a change of, of one or more aspects of our soul. Our, our emotions only are not just transformed. There, there just isn't a removal of our aversion towards divine things. It is a complete transformation. Our emotions, our thinking, our intellect. And, and it is this powerful, regenerating work of the Spirit alone that implants this principle of life in such a radical change within the, over, the governing disposition of our souls that now moves the soul in a Godward projection. And this change, as I said, impacts the entire man intellectually, morally, emotionally, Okay. Now, note, this, this work of the Spirit does not in any way exclude the Father or the Son in any way. This is the indwelling work that brings rebirth, renewal, the regeneration and the washing of rebirth, and this is of the Holy Spirit, but it is inclusive of what Christ has done as ordained and commanded by the Father. And this is what Christ himself was describing in in terms of being born again when he met with Nicodemus in John 3. Brother, if you read those verses. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is 
So we see being born of water and of the Spirit. This is in line of with Ezekiel's prophecy. This is in line of what Titus is talking about, that cleansing from impurity, that transformation of the heart that is so divinely and beautifully fulfilled by the work of God, by the person of this Holy Spirit. And the marvel at this work, of this work of regeneration, to bring a new creation out of hardness of stone, deadness in sin, to be given a fleshy, malleable heart, sensitive to the Spirit of God. We're, we're standing against this work, if we realize it, in defiance against this work is our own sin and Satan himself, that this was truly the work of the righteous right arm of Christ, of God himself, in exercising the Spirit and regenerating us. From going from stone to flesh, from wolf to lamb, and we receive the, this blessed manifestation of God's electing love at this, this regeneration work by the Spirit. We're ushered into an everlasting covenant of fellowship with the Father, an enjoyment with and of God and of Christ. And as Ezekiel says, to make us careful to do his will, which is that ongoing sanctification work that the Spirit rots within us. And we're going to look at that in a moment. I've got one other verse I want to look at. I'll read this. You can turn there, 2 Corinthians 3. Verses 17 and 18. Yes, brother. It's a cleansing that God brings through the regenerating work. That's what the water is signifying there. That's what he talks about back in Ezekiel. That washing that that the Spirit alone can do in us to transform us. It has nothing to do with baptism, immersion, or anything. Sure. Agreed. But I would use more, uh, I guess I would have some of the former connection between Ezekiel and John 3.5. Because all of those are talking about the work of the Spirit, not a physical immersion process that you would do to somebody to save them. Baptism. Right. Right. Yeah. When it says water and spirit, water is still spiritual. Mm-hmm. And referring to the cleansing that Ezekiel brings us. Right. Okay. Yep. I was right. just going to add, you know, in even in John there in chapter 3, you know, the correlation or the parallel to flesh and spirit. Mm-hmm. Still carrying that Hendiadus thing that they're two 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 descriptions meaning the same thing. Hendiadus.
So 2 Corinthians three, seventeen and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And in, in this verse, we consider the economy of the Trinity. It is here the Lord Jesus is identified as unique, not equated with the Spirit, but the one to whom one turns in repentance by faith. And the Spirit is his Spirit, who we must identify as the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the living God. But Paul is also speaking here of Christ, not in respect to his personality, but in in respect to his manner of working in us. As the Spirit of the Lord, the work for which the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to do, and specifically the church at Pentecost, was based on his unity, his harmony with the Father and the Son, speaking of the Spirit there. The Spirit of God came to man as the parakletos, the to take place of Christ on earth and to convict, to regenerate, to teach, to illuminate, to proclaim, to sanctify all of those things, just as the Son had done in his ministry before and, and also under the same power of the Holy Spirit, same Spirit before his ascension. But it's also worthy to look at here that, that in the regenerating work accomplished on our behalf by the Spirit of God that we have liberty now a new liberty, liberty, not to be understood as a moral or spiritual permissiveness, but a life-giving liberty, a freedom from the letter of the law. And the ministry of the Spirit also brings in a ministry of righteousness and life, and that is the aspect of that liberty there. Any questions so far? Comments? Thoughts? Ponderings? All right, we're going to go to the spirit of promise and look at the covenant spirit of God. Um, Would someone turn to Galatians 3.14 real quick and read that, please? Got it? Thank you, brother. Galatians 3.14. So what Paul is describing in this particular verse and, and through most of Galatians here is the purpose for which Christ redeemed his people from the curse of the law. And it's broken down for us into two clauses here. The first, making a statement from the perspective of salvific history, that it was Christ Jesus, the one who alone delivered his people from the curse of the law by, by vicariously bearing it upon himself on the cross, and who is also the offspring of Abraham, in whom the Gentiles were to be blessed. And that for us, all who are Gentiles, apart from the commonwealth, the promises of God's people, would now be made God's people through Abraham's blessing, which, this is critical, we are justified by what? Faith. Christ opening up to us the door of faith and the justification apart from the works of the law. But in the second clause here of the verse, it expresses this same truth in describing our own spiritual experience, talking about the Holy Spirit, which is the blessing of Abraham, which has been revealed in Christ, is received in the gift of the promised Holy Spirit. Say that one more time. In the second clause of this this verse, 
it expresses that same truth in describing our own spiritual experience, which is the blessing of Abraham, which has been revealed in Christ and is received in the gift of the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the substance of this promise to us, which is also, of course, received through faith, the faith which Paul talks about through all Galatians and throughout Scripture, and is the active gift in the heart of the believer. For we see in the the original promise to Abraham, there was no mention of the Holy Spirit, right? But only the blessing of being justified by faith. And it is in this new covenant reality brought to fruition by the Spirit of God that the promise, the glorious promise is fulfilled and constituted above all in the bestowal of the Spirit upon those who have faith. And Paul is saying that the great blessing of justification is almost synonymous with the reception of the Holy Spirit. That when that regeneration occurs, that faith, gift of faith, that justification occurs, you know the order of salutus. All that is instantaneous by the promise being fulfilled in the substance of the Spirit to us. Okay? One other verse I'll just read real quick. We're very familiar with it. We've hit it several times in this study is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, how else will they believe unless they hear, right? The word of the gospel. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We talked about this last week who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Okay. All right. We're doing well. Roman numeral five, the spirit within the benefits of his indwelling. Just some thoughts that kind of continue on from the, the, regenerative work of the Spirit when he is brought into the heart and soul of man. He, he imparts to us this divinely wrought gift of faith in Christ and only Christ as it is Christ who saves us through faith, which is and has been made alive in our souls by, again, by the Spirit. It's the blessed benefit of that ongoing indwelling of the Spirit that works to purify this faith through trial through growth in grace and knowledge of Christ. The Spirit imparts to us all that is involved in repentance, our awareness, our recognition of our individual offense against God, not just a general knowledge that men are bad and and the world is sin, but our own owned sin, the understanding of our violation, our affront against a holy God, and that we are under his covenantal judgment, his wrath, prior to salvation. And along with this is the metanoia, the the transferring of the mind, the transformation, the turning of the mind, the thinking, the turning from sin, that turning to God from our sin, from the light and the convicting work of the Spirit. But let me ask you, what are are some of the benefits? What are some of the joys, the, the delights of the indwelling Spirit of God? Fruit of the Spirit, amen. Primarily being love, love, <laughs> amen. Uh, we have 
Amen. Anyone else? Yes, brother. Amen. Amen. We, we could go on for the rest of the day. Yes, brother. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Paul asks us this question. I mean, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Think about that. <laughs> we, we are now instruments of his righteousness. Ephesians 2.22 tells us that it is the Spirit of God dwelling, living, working in us that we are those being built together into a living temple. The beauty and glory of the church. James 4, 5 speaks of the Spirit of God working in the spirit of man to supplant those natural cravings by his grace. Those tendencies in our remaining sin that want to have rule and authority and usher out anything of God that they can. Turn over to Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. And this ties in what, what everybody shared here too, but the Spirit's presence, God in us, the, the communion of the Spirit with us. Paul says I, in his prayer to the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. We not only see in Paul's prayer here this this supreme demonstration of God's love and the death of Christ, but we are now recipients of the supreme demonstration of his power through the resurrection of Christ. And this this is the power of God that that is gloriously exercised and at work in his people and the people of Christ through the Spirit that dwells in them. And it's in this dwelling presence of the Spirit that the energizing new life functions occur, making the hope of our resurrection so very real to us. Romans 8, 12, and 13. Would anybody like to read that real quick? So desperately needed. And without going into great depth of the seriousness of Paul's warning here of this theological truth of eternal separation from God as the penalty for sin and those who continue to follow the dictates of their flesh. But I think more importantly to see here the the indicative. What has God done for us in Christ through his spirit? That is enormous consideration and and the imperative that goes with that. What are we to do? We are to mortify remaining sin. Not something we can do in our own strength. Those deeds that are worked out in and by the body that are influenced by the flesh. All of this, all of this is only accomplished and can only be done by our constant living out our life in the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us.
having the access to the throne of God to confess those sins, to humbly repent of those things, to turn from those things, again, calling on the power of the Spirit to make that real in us, to bring that life, to renew, as David says, a right spirit within us, to turn from that sin is only done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is our responsibility. It is our accountability. This is not a passive thing. This is the the work that's done after the regenerative work has been done. If you are in Christ and His Spirit is in you, you must rely on this Spirit to defeat sin in your life. You have no other hope. You have no other choice. And this segues right into the power of the Spirit, His His sufficiency within us. So may I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. Go for it. So it's just speaking about regeneration, being born again, and the effect of that is related to our sin. Mm-hmm. So first John three nine says, No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Amen. And that seed within us is what compels us back to Christ. You know, we we, we by God's grace and his power, we're not going to continue a life of sin. That power is there available, and it, it, it woos us back, right? It reveals what we've done. It humbles us. Right, brother? <laughs> Thank you. But this, this is a segue, and again, continuing in the Spirit's power, His gifts and sufficiency, a part of the benefits of the indwelling. Galatians five sixteen to 26, I won't read it all, <clears throat> but Paul starts out, But I say, here's an imperative, verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Let's go along with what you said, brother, in 1 John 3. That spirit is warring on our behalf against the flesh that remains the sin that remains in our flesh, so that we don't do the things that will please be, we please to go on continuing in sin. And then going down to verse twenty-two, Brother Chris was talking about the fruit of the spirit is love. It is only by the spirit's working in us, beginning with regeneration and His indwelling presence, that that fruit is birthed forth; that it is brought forth. And after Paul addresses the the freedom that that true believers are called for, again, not as an opportunity to indulge in the sinful nature, but to serve one another in love, Paul further explains the secret, the necessity, the reality of Christ-centered living. Walk by the Spirit. Abide in His power. In submission to the fullness of the reality of His presence and conduct our lives accordingly. For it is the Spirit that is our abiding, that indwelling presence and power that wars over and subdues the desires, those inclinations of the flesh. And it is through this concrete manifestation of the Spirit of God that this harvest of fruit will come forth, this life empowering our life in the world. 
demonstrating to a lost society what true love is really all about. This is how we grow. This is how we mature to be spiritually controlled, Holy Spirit controlled, and empowered in this life and in the world. All of this, of course, all of this is by faith. Amen? All of it is by faith. It, it is to be sought out and pursued and confessed in prayer. Our communication, our exchange with the throne of God, this is how it's done. It's not done by osmosis. It is by an active will, our will, our renewed will toward God to pursue these things. And as I said, at the head of these fruits, the harvest of love, which is that bond of perfectness which binds us as a body, as believers, willing to lay down our lives and to forgive one another and to serve one another because of Christ, not because of anything is done wrongly against us or good for us. (laughs) That love is there because of the Spirit's presence and abiding power in us. That fruit is birthed forth. It flows out. It spills over. Amen. Sorry, I'm preaching. <laughs> this, is, this is good stuff. Any thoughts? Yes, brother. For what we hear, yeah, test the spirits. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's that's really a, a, a subset of of why we take membership so seriously. You know, we want we want to hear where you're at. What has God done in your life? What's the testimony of Christ? Where are you? You know, not that you know to come to Heritage Grace, you got to hit this level of perfection. But where are you? Are you are you are you with the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Has he has he has he saved you? Do you know what that means? You know those things that it's a testing of the Spirit to see are we in, are we in covenant agreement here? You know, are we in uni- unity because of the Spirit of God. Amen. Um, real quick, Second Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. This is another reason of the, the Spirit's power, the benefits of His indwelling. When Paul, when he said he came to the Corinthians, his message, skipping down to verse 4, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, and, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and in power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That's what we test in testing the spirits. Is Are we hearing just the wisdom, the cliches, the verbiage and hot air of men? Or are we hearing what the power of the Word of God says? Because it's the Spirit's power within us that equips us for living, also for evangelism. Amen? We can't do that in our own power either. Now we, we should be praying God, give me that your spirit's discernment and power so I can speak, not only speak, but speak your truth. And for Paul and any pastor, any teacher, to properly teach, and what I mean by that, to properly preach, is with the humility, properly with a heart attitude and a mindset of the reality of our inherent weaknesses, our, our complete inag- inadequacy. But with that, a full-hearted faith-filled reliance on the power of the Spirit and His Word and to, to, to see God work to fulfill His desired intent and what He has to say by the power of His Spirit. 
Because it ain't about me, brothers and sisters. Amen? And this, the resulting fruit of faith would not be based on anything within the man. Anything that happens in you is not based on anything about me, about Pastor Emilio, about Landon, about Brian, about anybody who teaches any of the men's states. It's not about us. It's not my charisma. It's not my personality. It's definitely not my looks, but only by a proclamation of the truth of God found in his word and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Boom. Bottom line. Amen. This is the spirit demonstrated released, made manifest, if you will do, if you will, if you will to do his God-revealing work and glorifying work through the preaching of the word. Okay, any questions? We're doing really well. Number six, the Spirit's purpose. First, we're going to look at illumination. Illumination of the truth. We saw this already in, in Ephesians 1.18, that enlightening, that illuminating work that the Spirit brings to our hearts and the hope that is found in His calling to know both the, the present inheritance that we have in Christ, that we have now by grace in, in the principles and the power and that life of the Spirit within us in walking with the Spirit, but also that ultimate inheritance of heaven, that greatness of God's power, that all-sufficiency of God for us to walk with him now and into eternity. 1 John 2, 26 and 27. John says, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. All believers in Christ, all believers in Christ, who put their faith in him, who abide in him, we've been given an inward confirmation by the Spirit of God. One, one is the assurance that we have through the Spirit's testimony that we are his child by which we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. But also that we have that inward confirmation and instruction by the Holy Spirit that is better than natural human teaching. Amen? Not superseded ministerial teaching, but it surmounts it. And he, the Spirit, reveals and teaches teaches us nothing but truth. Right? There's no shadow of turning with the Father. The wisdom that comes from above is what? Good. It's true. Right? All things teaching us all things necessary of Christ. All things necessary of knowing God. This is why we must abide and depend upon him. Someone turn to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 16. Got it? 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. Go for it, brother.
person, spiritual person, judges all things, but it's himself to be judged by no one. For he has understood the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him. For we have the mind of Christ. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> it is not the natural mind of man that can appraise spiritual truths, right? Can't understand the realities, the depths of God's word, or the spirit of God. It is to the natural mind nothing but foolishness, incomprehensible. Think about your life before Christ. Was there any appeal or understanding of scriptures? Ritual, boring, dry, what do these people see in this stuff? I don't get it. But when the spirit, that light comes with the illumination that the spirit of God brings, spiritually minded becomes a new reality a new illumination, a new understanding. Not full disclosure of knowing every little bit, no cranny extensive theology, but there's that glimpse of, oh, remember Pastor Milo telling me about the first word study he did, man, it was just like he could not be satisfied. <laughs> and that's true, I think, with all of us. And it, and it may be an exponential curve. It may be a gradual thing, but there's an illumination and a hunger that you want to pursue and know the things of God because it's like tasting chocolate for the first time, you know? I know that's a bad example, but <clears throat> but that type of excitement that not only just temporarily satisfies the tongue, but there's, there's such a refreshment in the heart and the mind that it's like, wow, where, I, I never saw this before. But to know... but. <clears throat> To know the mind of Christ and the mind of God in Christ is only brought about by the Spirit's illuminating work. And this too, this too has to be a daily prayer, right? It's not a one-time, okay, I got my card, I punched my ticket, I walked the aisle, I'm illuminated. I mean, every time, I, I know I can speak for Pastor Milo, every time, whether it's devotional, study, Father, help me, because my natural mind will not perceive this without your Spirit's help. Amen. Yes, brother. Being in the Word. Yep, yep. Right. Yeah. Be very careful of those tangential thoughts that you think are <laughs> not found in Scripture. Yeah, yes, brother. Mm hmm.
working of the Spirit in you going about the means right. of being illuminated or growing in understanding the Scripture. Because it says, do your best. Right. Or as uh, KJV says, study to show yourself approved. Exactly. Not before men, but before God. To be approved by God. God Amen. how much time you do or don't study the Scripture. Right. How much time you have outside of it. Right. And Right. And, and, and to complement that, that can't be seen as a rigid duty. You know, it's, it's a love. You know, it's got to be birthed out of a love of, for God, for Christ, for his word. Amen. If, if, it's, if, if it is just a duty to you, pray that God would give you a love for that, that you would enjoy that beyond all measure. And, and, Know him in that. Amen? Okay. We're going to rush here. Sorry. Conformity to Christ. Sanctification. It, it is only by the Spirit of God and the soul of man that he is then not only called, but he's enabled to be holy, to be divinely kept, to being sanctified, to be, be, to be being set apart to God to be consecrated to God for his glory, for his will, for his purposes, and for our good. This is a very good thing for us. This is what the fullness of humanity is about in being in conformance to be brought to the glory of God, to be brought to the likeness of Christ, to be consecrated and set apart to him. And with this comes really, truly our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction. It'll surpass any temporal thing this world could attempt to offer. And it brings such a great peace with it to be conformed to the likeness, not just the outer appearance and look of what Christ looks like. You know what I mean by that? But within our hearts, our desires, our attitudes, that I want to please the Father in everything I do, just as Christ, everything he did was to please the Father and give him honor. I want to do that too. Look what he's done for me but to pursue a life course that pleases the Father in the same dependence upon the Spirit of God that Christ had. Right? Every day. See him prayer, going away to pray by himself, relying on the full presence and the power of the Spirit with him throughout his ministry because he was still just like us. Right? Real quick, Second Thessalonians 2.13. I'm just going to read because I don't want to steal Pastor Emilio's future thunder on that, but just a glorious verse here. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, we know this very well. Peter talking to the aliens, those in Christ who have been scattered throughout all the regions, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And then finally, last but surely not least, glorification. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. 
says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. The Spirit of God is the earnest security of God's promise to us. It is, it is an incalculable deposit of everlasting worth that has secured our life now and, and for glory. And, and with this deposit, with this seal of God upon our hearts, comes with it an everlasting joy that we are His, that we are His, and that the veracity of God, the, the mediation of Christ and the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives are all engaged for us. That the promise is given all the way back from Genesis 3.15 are to carry through the seed. All that was, was designed and, and promised were carried through that seed being Christ. And they are sure. And that guarantee will bear within us the fullness of preservation. And that we can know that the accomplishment of them will be to the glory of God. And to our ultimate glory with him. We will share in his glory. And this is our greatest delight and our enjoyment now and forever. Amen? I want to close just with one verse in a, in a thanks and praise. We rejoice with Christ when he said this in Luke ten twenty one. At that very time, Christ, he rejoiced greatly with the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Let's go worship the Lord.